Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone. This is David Fortney, and welcome to another edition of the DC Insider Podcast. With me again, I've got both Nita and Bert. Nita, how are you? I'm great. Looking forward to this conversation. And Bert? Yes, it's a pleasure to talk about these interesting subjects. Right. So we do want to delve in and we may take a little longer than we usually do to talk about several of the recent Supreme Court decisions. So this is what we're thinking of as a supremely supreme podcast to really help employers unpack what the meaning of some of these. And they're obviously they've been well reported in the news, controversial. And we're talking about Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization and the West Virginia versus the Environmental Protection Agency, West Virginia versus EPA, and some other Supreme Court cases and precedents. But the Dobbs case that perhaps has received the most attention, reconfiguring the rules governing abortion and abortion freedoms uh, in our country, have rocked society generally, but clearly the decision's having a very major impact on employers and how employers go about benefits, how employers go about dealing with their employees, how employers now face a multitude of challenges and demands from different stakeholders in responding to the Dobbs decision. So we do want to unpack that a bit and talk about what we see going on there. And then second, this EPA case, and we're going to explain why we think an Environmental Protection Act case is really important for employers to pay attention to, and we think it is. So With that and some other thoughts, let's just jump right into it. And Bert, let's start with Dobbs. That's the one that's received so much attention. Why don't you kick us off on that? With your indulgence, I'd like to just also remind everybody about the broader impact of Dobbs, because for the first time in our history, the Supreme Court has taken a constitutional right away from the people. And by removing reproductive rights from individual decision-making and consigning them to the vagaries of local legislatures, the court has really diminished the meaning of liberty in the United States, and that's a kind of radical occurrence. Equal protection of the law, guaranteed to every person by the 14th Amendment, has suddenly been used to relegate women to a secondary role in society and in the workplace, to which we'll direct our attention. And for me, that is a step back in time. But Nita, why don't you focus us more on the impact on employers? We had a very interesting conversation with other lawyers earlier this week about what this really means as employers are stepping out and helping those employees who are in states where abortion is now prohibited. So what can employers do? Well, first of all, if you have a health care plan that is self-funded, in that situation, ERISA preempts state laws that would impact your health care provision. If you have insurance, then that is covered by state law, and you would, as an employer, around your 
benefits you're trying to provide to your employees would be covered by state laws, including those prohibiting abortion. So that's a really quick and dirty look at it. But that's the first of a number of benefits that employers are looking at, David. Sure. So that highlights the beginning of kind of a tick list, you know, your benefits, how they address and whether you will or will not be subject to the whole panoply of state laws. And we all know from the news reports how varied those state laws are. One of the other impacts of the state laws is whether they purport to restrict people from aiding and abetting or providing travel benefits from a state that may have newly imposed abortion restrictions to another state where abortion benefits still remain available. Some states are purporting to restrict uh, that and state that any party providing such travel benefits, in other words, an aider and a better, could be civilly or criminally liable, which raises a fundamental question because many employers have said, look, to do a bit of a workaround, since we have employees in many different states, those employees that are in these newly restricted states will provide travel benefits if they need abortion services to another jurisdiction. Question whether that is permitted under the state laws whether those state laws would be enforceable, what is the impact on interstate commerce, that type of restriction, and can those states that purport to impose those restrictions really do so successfully? Again, this is on the checklist of of issues that employers are looking at. And David, the Texas and Oklahoma both have that bounty where any citizen of the state can sue an aider or a better. And so To the extent that an employer is in a state like Texas or Oklahoma, they could be sued by any citizen under the civil acts there. I could just step back from the law and go back to HR. People haven't talked about the impact of this decision on recruiting and retention. If you're thinking about the younger generation of workers in the industries around the world that are really the machines, the engines of our economy, People are going to start thinking about where they want to live and where they want to work. And for both men and women, this is going to be a significant factor. And companies and states are going to have to respond to that. Meanwhile, it's good to remember that Title VII, at least for now, under the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, does protect against discrimination based on having an abortion or not having an abortion. We're going to talk a little bit later about this pug pull and tug between religion and these other protected groups that are under Title VII. But at least for now, there is protection in the workplace for those who decide they want an abortion or do not want one. So as is so often the case, when these major fundamental changes come around, and many view them as a change perhaps in our social, some basic social issues and structures, there's a very direct and immediate impact on employers and employers now needing to recalibrate and revisit, and I'm particularly multi-state employers, to start to address the issues that we've just laid out. And that's just the beginning of the list. I mean, these issues continue to evolve rapidly. And so I think any employer is well counseled at this point to seriously, Dobbs is an issue that employers need to focus on and respond to. And most employers are rapidly implementing changes in response to Dobbs. So let's move from Dobbs, which has captured, consumed a lot of the oxygen, to that other Supreme Court decision that perhaps hasn't grabbed the headlines as much, 
but perhaps for the uh, DC insider geeks, is also pretty significant. Bert, that's that environmental case. Yeah, I'll say West Virginia versus EPA. And this is a ruling that's focused on the authority of the EPA to regulate emissions from coal-powered power plants under the Clean Air Act, kind of right what you think is in their wheelhouse. But as with OSHA's authority to mandate vaccines in the workplace, the Supreme Court decreed that the Clean Air Act did not grant that broad authority to this agency. Now, for decades, and I really mean like almost 50 years now, agencies had the right to interpret statutes under their jurisdiction so long as the interpretations were rational. The fancy words are arbitrary and capricious. This was what was called the Chevron Doctrine after the case that formulated it. Frankly, the doctrine is now in complete shambles. It's been replaced by court-made mechanisms such as what they call the major question issue or the non-delegation theory, which mainly mean that the court alone determines what's a major question, and the court alone determines if Congress clearly delegated the proper authority to the agency to act. And instead of the judicial self-restraint we had in Chevron, we now have virtually untrammeled judicial power. And the upshot of all of that, that will spin out in a minute or two, is the ability of the federal government to issue regulations in response to 21st century problems is substantially undermined and totally at risk. And I don't think I'm overstating the case. So on the deference point, which I think is so important because historically, the judges have recognized that the agency personnel, who typically are bona fide subject matter experts, Think about OSHA, think about wage hour, EEO. There are people there whose careers are built to understanding and implementing those legal requirements. What the court has now said is that we're not necessarily going to defer to those agency experts. There's this threshold question about whether Congress expressly authorized the agency to deal with that. Let's think more a recent decision that we did talk about in an earlier podcast, the OSHA vaccination requirement is either you had to be vaccinated or, you know, other requirements. And the Supreme Court said under this new doctrine that you've described for us, Bert, that OSHA, even though the statute said that they have the right to regulate workplace health and safety, that wasn't sufficient to implement a nationwide vaccine requirement. So against that backdrop and against now reiteration and further doubling down on that doctrine in this EPA case, What about the other rules and regulations that we're beginning to see going forward? I mean, the Labor Department's wage hour division is promulgating major rules on minimum wage, independent contractors, and a host of other requirements, joint employer requirements also. What's going to happen to those regulations? Are those legitimate or will those be brushed aside by the court under this major question doctrine? My prediction is that even under this new litmus test that the court is deploying aggressively, I think that the wage hour regulations likely could survive because they go right to the heart of key statutory terms. Who's an employee? What is the minimum wage? And I believe that Congress under this test provided the agency with sufficient express authorization. The OSHA case gives a little room for pause on that, but that's one prediction. What about some of these other requirements, though, in other areas? 
Nina, you look at OFCCP a lot. I mean, what's the likelihood? Does this change the equation for OFCCP regulations? I think it changes the equation for the executive order 11246 potentially to be completely gutted. Because the question is, in this case, is whether or not the president under the Procurement Act has the authority. Did Congress anticipate that the president would issue a bunch of executive orders requiring federal contractors to do all kinds of things, including a minimum wage at $15 an hour, obviously affirmative action. And actually, I think, David and Bert, this could be got at two ways. One, depending on how broadly the decision the Supreme Court's going to hand down in the Harvard slash UNC cases as saying no one can ever use race for anything around, you know, you can't use it for outreach or any of that kind of stuff. Potentially, it could be a double whammy for OFCCP. And just quickly on that, there are a couple of cases pending. Several of the federal contractor vaccination cases are still alive in the courts of appeal, and that could give the Supreme Court the option to completely toss OFCCP in its entirety. Right. And I think that's an important distinction because the Procurement Act is the only statute on which the OFCCP's EEO program generally rests, as well as its regulations. So that is would appear to be more likely in peril under this doctrine. Well, there are some other changes I think of as these sort of workaround regulations. These aren't areas that have traditionally been a strong focus, but the Securities and Exchange Commission has been working on human capital management regulations. It announced it last fall, where it's now going to very robustly get into a variety of EEO regulatory schemes. Again, the federal question, as the court would put it, is does the Security and Exchange Act authorize the SEC to regulate and impose those types of requirements? It's not clear that it does. Additionally, with respect to ERISA enforcement, the Labor Department's swung back and forth kind of like a pendulum in terms of what standard an investor has to meet for uh, as a fiduciary. Is it just the best return on the investment? Or you can you take into account other values, such as ESG values, environmental values, key social values, promotion of those, even if they don't get the best return, can you promulgate those? The current administration seems to think the answer is yes and has proposed major regulations and sub-regulatory guidance to advance that. Under the doctrine, as we're seeing it play out, particularly in the EPA case that Bert laid out for us, I think the answer may be no as we move forward. But I think this is the reason the EPA case, which doesn't appear to be a traditional workplace regulatory case, we think is so doggone important for the areas that we're focused on. There's no doubt that the Supreme Court has taken the tack of picking and choosing constitutional rights that it prefers. And one of the other cases that directly grew out of the workplace is Kennedy versus Bremerton High School uh, District. It was the football coach overtly praying uh, with his students. And with accelerating speed, the Supreme Court has totally altered the doctrine of the separation of church and state. And it's kind of elevated religious rights above others. And it's kind of remaking the Establishment Clause. Just to remind you, in Kennedy, a public school coach was permitted to conduct overtly Christian prayers on the field involving his players, despite his role as a public school official, that is to say, in legal terms, an agent of the state. 
This decision continues the court's support of religious rights, as in Hobby Lobby, which gave First Amendment protections to corporations when religious rights were involved. And the implications of this for employers are almost hard to imagine. Employers everywhere must now be wary of limiting religious observance in the workplace, including proselytizing activities. And the constitutional prohibition against establishing religion has kind of been turned inside out and has become an overt protection of religious observance, including even in the workplace. And I think one of the things to think about going forward, certain elements of uh, DEI programs, uh, those kinds of efforts to include uh, diversity and equity and inclusion, I think they're going to be challenged by a studied group of dedicated and dissenting employees. And it is anybody's guess as to where the reach of this Supreme Court decision gets into the private workplace. But it's something we all have to watch for. I think that's really important, Bert, because the thing that we are seeing is up until now, when you think about Title VII, race, gender, and LGBT, which is a fairly recent addition to Title VII, religion has been one among many. Now it seems to be the, uh, as they said about Augustus, the top of the tree. It overrides everything else. And that's very troubling, especially there is a case down in Texas where they are taking issue with the LGBT guidance that EEOC issued. What is that going to mean as we roll forward, David? Well, this begins to raise, in my mind, we have this interesting dynamic where the Trump administration, recall there was the no diversity training order, they had religious freedom regulation they implemented, they had an EEOC general counsel, Sharon Gustafson, who was very focused on religious freedom. Well, when the Biden administration came in, they immediately essentially erased and stopped all of those efforts by the executive branch, dead in its tracks. So, and of course, have begun to sort of reverse and move in the other direction. However, we now have the judicial branch, none other than the Supreme Court. This isn't some rogue district judge. This is the Supreme Court, six to three, ruling and recognizing the dominance of religion and largely picking up on the religious freedom theme, as it was deemed by the Trump administration, and amplifying it in a way way beyond what the Trump administration ever got accomplished. One last thing that I thought was interesting about Dobbs, and I know we've kind of wandered around on that, but... The Supreme Court allowed, they said that abortion was not covered. It's not a sex-based institution. It's not a sex-based act. It reminds me of the Supreme Court decision. I think it was a GE case that led to the and pregnancy. Gilbert. Gilbert versus GE, the old pregnancy yep. case. Well, in that case, they divided the world into pregnant people and everybody else, when clearly the <laughs> only people who get pregnant are women. But I do worry a little bit about, back on our point about sex and how are employers going to deal with, for example, someone says, I am against abortion and I don't want to hear anything about what you're doing. I'm feeling intimidated. So there's a lot of issues that all of these cases raise that employers are going to have to deal with with very little guidance. Under the rubric of hostile environment, which is broadly recognized and encompasses any sort of prohibited discriminatory basis can form the foundational element for a hostile environment. One of the things that I find most disturbing about this whole panoply of case law is that if you're 
a compliant employer, which is what most of our clients are, we really don't know what to do because we don't know where the bottom is with this court and with these decisions. And that's one of the most troubling aspects of this revolution created by the court. Well, I think that's right, Bert. And there obviously, there will continue to be, I think, many more developments. This term, the last 14 days, decisions we've had have been kind of shaking the foundations and reshaping. And there's every indication these aren't one-offs. This is part of what is going to be the new normal, the new trend, and it's going to require us to recalibrate many of our compliance uh, programs and benefits as we move forward. All right. Well, great discussion. Let's have some final thoughts. Uh, Nita, I'm going to turn to you first. Well, as we've discussed already, I, I'm very concerned with what all of this that we talked about means for OFCCP, especially the Executive Order 11246, which is the primary agent by which employers have to do affirmative action programs. I'll go next, and then, Bert, I'll give you the final word. This growing willingness to expand religious protections potentially at the expense of other protected categories is a trend that I think bears very careful monitoring because religion should not be superior or inferior. It is one among several protected categories, none of which should be inferior or superior to the other. I'd like to turn our attention back to the impact of using criminal prosecutions to enforce social policy, these aiding and abetting laws, giving rights to individuals, giving rights to private citizens to have the authority to enforce public law. Talk about a dangerous trend. I think the last time we did that, it was called the Fugitive Slave Act, and it's a terrible precedent. And this court seems to be able, in that Texas case, they didn't stop it, which means it's a form of ratification. And it's a very dangerous trend and something we ought to keep an eye on. That is extremely sobering and thought-provoking. And so with that, we will leave it at that. Thank you, Bert and Nita. And thanks, everyone, for joining us for another edition of the DC Insider Podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, please do so. And we appreciate you joining us today and look forward to being with you in the future. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.